0: Hey, welcome back to the Word Weaver podcast. I first met our guest today, her name is Bryn Turnbull, when we were both set up by our mutual friend, Hillary, at her wedding. Hillary knew that Bryn and I were both writers working on our first books, and Hillary had heard me tell her time and time again how hard I found it to meet people going through the same process that I was. It can be very isolating writing a book, and even though you can talk to your friends and family about what you're doing, it's something else entirely to talk about the process with someone who is living it. I imagine it's what people who are training for an Ironman or who have done Ironman are like, except instead of talking about their daily mileage or the aches in their calves or the building up of lactic acid from training, we talk about our daily word counts and aches in our backs from our shoulders hunching over our desks. So Hillary sat us next to each other at her wedding and we immediately hit it off. Honestly, I can't tell you how relieving it is to talk to somebody who just gets it. I didn't have to explain what I was going through or the challenges that come along with it. Brynn just understood immediately and often would say exactly what I was thinking. Cultivating a writing community is so important, but it's a lot easier said than done. Everybody talks about it, but when you're writing alone in your room, and you don't really want to share too much about your project before it comes to fruition, it can be hard to put yourself out there and meet people. You don't want to waste time networking, quote-unquote, while you should be writing. And a lot of writers have a hard time putting themselves out there. They're introverts. They're used to just being alone with their thoughts and the world that they're creating. Not only is Bryn an incredible writer, but she also has an impressive background to back it up. For four years in undergrad, she studied English literature and history at McGill University in Montreal. During her time at McGill, in between her English studies, she co-founded a creative writing group on campus and also edited a literary magazine. In the summer, she was the independent bookstore program coordinator for the Walrus Magazine summer reading issue. She also has a master's degree in professional communications from Ryerson University, and most recently, a master's in creative writing from the University of St. Andrews in Scotland. If you're a fan of the royals, St. Andrews might ring a bell because that's where Prince William and Kate Middleton first met. I read recently that St. Andrews is the third oldest university in the world after Oxford and Cambridge. It was founded in 1410, which, to give you context, was 82 years before Christopher Columbus even set foot in America in 1492. And that's centuries before the United States was technically founded on July 4th in 1776. And then for even more context, Harvard University wasn't founded until 1636. St. Andrews is 226 years older than Harvard. Brynn and I are both huge history buffs. Our books are both works of historical fiction and non-fiction, so I know you're probably listening and asking yourself, why is she throwing all these random years and dates at me? But it's really hard for me not to geek out over this stuff. Luckily, I met my writing soulmate in Bryn because her book is also about real-life historic figures and we had a ball talking about all that kind of stuff. Among the many topics that we talk about today, I definitely asked Bryn about her experience at St. Andrews and what she thought of their historic and prestigious writing program and also the process of writing her first novel, which she penned during her time in Scotland and is currently seeking representation for.
1: I had a wait with words for a while
0: Hi, Bryn. Welcome to the Word Weaver podcast. Hello. I'm so excited. I'm so thankful that you agreed to come on.
1: Well, I'm honored that you want me on your podcast. So thank you so much for having me.
0: It just seems like from a young age, you always knew that you wanted to be a writer. I mean, you got your undergraduate degree in English Lit at McGill, and then you went to St. Andrews to get your master's in creative writing. So just from looking at that path, it tells me that you always knew this was your calling and this is what you wanted to do. But was there a defining moment from an early age or a series of moments that kind of said, yep, I'm going to be a writer. This is what I meant to do and what I want to do.
1: Well, it's funny. My mom always tells this story whenever we've got friends over and it's quite embarrassing. But when I was in kindergarten going into grade one that summer, I got it into my head that you had to go into grade one knowing how to read. Like that was what people did and i was possessed with this idea so my grandmother very you know wonderfully ended up finding an old elementary school primer and she taught me how to read that summer so you know i went into grade 1 knowing how to read and quite sheepishly realized that that was actually what we were there to learn how to do i remember thinking to myself wait a minute people actually get to do this people people write stories that's something that you do and it was just kind of from the very beginning what I always wanted to do. I mean, I was lost from very early age to stories. I've always been a storyteller, and while I've tried, you know, doing different things and dipping in and out of the writing world, I always come back.
0: Mm-hmm. And did people kind of praise you when you were a kid that you you're good at this? This is something that built your confidence. Oh, definitely. definitely. Yeah.
1: I mean, I think I think having a supportive family and supportive teachers from an early age. It it can encourage you to go in any direction. And for me, it was always writing.
0: And then what I think is really cool, I'm going to fast forward a little bit to most recently, you got your master's at St. Andrews, very prestigious university in Scotland. What drew you to the program there to get your master's in creative writing? And what was it like being surrounded by all of those like-minded readers and learners and writers?
1: It's essentially Hogwarts by the sea was the draw for me. 100%.
0: Yeah,
1: it's absolutely, it's an absolutely stunning campus. And the opportunity to study at such a historic university was just absolutely mind-blowing to me. But the reason I ended up going to St. Andrews, at the time I was working for a political consulting firm, and I had gotten a book idea in my head. And I realized when I was at work spending more time thinking about my book than I was thinking about my clients. Mm -hmm. I realized that I needed to get serious about it. So I applied to a number of universities and uh, St. Andrews was my top choice. I knew I wanted to go to the UK because my book is set there and it's historical. So I wanted to be able to do on-site research. And um, I chose St. Andrews just because... um, well, Cambridge and Oxford didn't have courses that I um, that I wanted. Those would have been two of my other choices. Getting into St. Andrews was just like the highlight of everything. I was so pleased to spend time there.
0: Oh, it's so amazing. I have to go visit sometime.
1: You, you really should. It's absolutely stunning. But I mean, the program itself was really small, which was also a big, big draw for me. So it was a perfect size because we basically just studied in a workshop format and kind of bounced ideas off each other. And all of the other writers in the program are like very high caliber writers. So it was great to work alongside them and, you know, be able to kind of feed off of their energy in my own work.
0: Yeah. And to even get the feedback from those professors there.
1: Oh God. Yeah. Yeah. I had uh, one professor in particular named John Burnside, who is a kind of a titan of Scottish writing and he was absolutely amazing. But, oh, that's so uh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. It was very cool. So, I mean, like I had kind of three takeaways from St. Andrews. Uh, the first was, kind of find your tribe. I was Mm -hmm. working in a workshop format because it allowed me to test out different ideas, different story structures and kind of build trust with other writers. Cause I mean, so much of writing is just very, very insular, right? It's your own ideas. It's just sitting in your room with your laptop and being able to bounce those ideas off of other people and a get feedback from them and b get validation that you're on the right path. All of that combined just really, is fantastic I also found my routine as a writer there yeah Um, before it was just sort of like write whenever I had spare minutes and I figured out what really worked for me I figured out I'm like a morning writer it gave me the chance to figure out what my life would be like as a full-time writer which I had never gotten that opportunity before and so that's why it really helped me build that pattern oh
0: that's amazing the idea came for you you mentioned before you went there
1: yeah yeah I did
0: what sparked the idea for your book? Can you tell us more about it, the title, if you want to share that, and kind of the premise of what, what it's about?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So it's not actually been picked up yet, so the title is still um, is still a working title, but it's called People Like Us. and Love it. About a woman named Thelma Morgan Furness, and she was mistress to Edward, uh, the Prince of Wales, in the 1930s. And, you know, you'll know Edward because of his... Um, his relationship with Wallace Simpson, which caused him to abdicate the throne. And what people don't know about that relationship was that it started because Thelma was Wallace's good friend. And uh, she had to leave him for a period of about three months. So she took her friend Wallace out for lunch at the Ritz Hotel in London and said, Edward's going to be very lonely without me. Will you look after him while I'm gone? And Wallace reached across the table, patted her on the hand and said, of course I will. (laughs) <laughs> and when Thelma got back after her months away it turned out Wallace had done a bit too good of a job looking after Edward Uh-oh. yeah so I found this story because of a movie um that actually Madonna directed in 2008 and she referenced this moment between Thelma and Wallace where Thelma says look after Edward for me and I just remember thinking what a weird thing to ask somebody Yeah. And it kind of spun me, you know, it got me into a Wikipedia hole. And I learned about this woman and I learned about her relationship with her sister who had a fascinating story of her own, which is also a big part of the book. And yeah, it just kind of went from there.
0: I love it. That's why we connected because my book's also historic. So I love that you talk about real life historic figures in yours as well.
1: Well, I mean, you know, they always say truth is stranger than fiction. And I think both of our experiences can speak to that.
0: Absolutely. That's so true. And then you were able to workshop chapters of that with your classmates at school?
1: Yeah, I was. I ended up, what was it? My thesis when I was there ended up being about, I think, 80 or 90 pages of the manuscript, which was amazing because it kind of broke the back of writing for me. I was able to come back and I was so far into it that I just kept going.
0: And it was vetted by, I mean, even your professor, you said like he's a titan writer in Scotland. So that confidence going into the rest of the project is just so invaluable. Oh,
1: absolutely. Absolutely.
0: I'm curious. It sounds like everything kind of has gone along swimmingly for you and your writing career. But I know I've experienced a little bit of pushback along the way, especially when I took a bit of a transition from my corporate career into becoming a full time writer. Have you ever had, even though it's well-intentioned, well-meaning from people in your life, a little pushback or has anyone ever questioned your path of becoming a writer?
1: Honestly, the only pushback I've gotten has been from myself. I mean, my own doubts and frustrations with the writing process. I mean, I think every writer deals with self-doubt at some point and um, am I good enough for this? Am I not? I think every writer struggles with that at some point or another, but I've been so lucky. I've got such a supportive family. I've got such a supportive friend group that all have really just kind of backed me in this process. I know a lot of people when they start to write, they kind of don't tell people what they're doing because they're worried about what they're going to say. Mm -hmm. In my mind, that was never a concern. For me, when I tell people that I'm writing, it kind of holds me accountable to actually finishing the project. Very true. And everybody that I've told about the project has said, Oh, that sounds great. Like, go for it. And that's what I've done. Like when I told my parents, I was going to give up my job and move to Scotland to write a book. Their response was, well, thank God you finally figured that out. It's
0: amazing that you have that. I know. I'm really lucky. It's such a weird industry because I think people, the stereotype of the starving, struggling artist is still there. It's very pervasive, but it's when you know that's what you want to do, you got to just do it.
1: Well, that's exactly it. You kind of can't allow, you can't allow certainly other people's doubts to color your path. I think you have to take your own doubts into consideration and say, okay, am I delusional or am I reasonable in this? And yeah, like those, are, that's the only thing that matters.
0: But the the self-doubt that you talk about, I, I don't know if that ever goes away. I hope it does, but the feeling of imposter syndrome is something that I definitely feel as well. So well,
1: when I first, got, I can really, yeah. When I first got to St. Andrews, uh, the professors sat us all down and said, I know that all of you are feeling the same thing. You're feeling that you don't belong here. You're feeling that you got in because of a fluke, because that's how every writer mm-hmm. feels. And you did. Oh. You got in here because you've got the ability to do it.
0: Oh, that's so encouraging. Even just hearing that now, I'm like, oh, I, need, I needed that today. <laughs> how did you persist? Because it is a lot of hard work to finish that first draft from beginning to end. I don't think anybody realizes how hard it is to really write a book. Yeah,
1: it's it's tough. It's a, it's a way longer process. I was very naive going into it. I kind of thought, oh, it'll take me like a year at most. And I'll write a book. I'll skip out. Yeah, no, that's not how it works. For me, it really is just about that stamina to continue and to push on. And a big part of that is just relying on your friends, on your support network, and again, showing people what you're doing because when you show people what you're doing, it holds you accountable.
0: And carving out that time every day, making sure it's a practice that you're doing. Yeah, building that
1: routine that works for you is so important.
0: So you finish the book and then the second half of the process is getting it published. For me, it was a completely eye-opening experience. It's still a steep learning curve. I'm still figuring it out as I go. And again, kind of like I was a little naive to... Oh, just, oh, you send off your pitch to a literary agent and then you get it published. The
1: the first literary agent you go to says, it's fabulous. Yeah, no.
0: It's going to be this amazing idea. Like, how could they say anything but? This is incredible. This is the next, like, Harry Potter (laughs) series. (laughs) I'm curious to know how you have found the whole publishing journey, the whole process, the positives, the negatives, or anything that surprised you about it. Well,
1: it's, it's a little bit like online dating, isn't it? You know? You're looking. You're sending yourself out into the world. You're, you know, you're putting your best foot forward, and you're saying, "What are your thoughts and dreams for this? Like, are we looking in the same direction? Do you have the same ambitions for this project that I do?" And it's, you know, finding that alignment is is so important. And it's, you know, you need to have an editor, and sorry, you need to have an agent who loves the book as much as you do, because if you don't have that, you know, it's just it's not going to go in the right direction. But for me, what really surprised me was how long it takes to get an agent and how little money writers make. And I think at the time I put it down to like Scottish dourness. I was like, oh, they're being pessimistic. It's going to be fine. I'll go in and it'll I'll get the first agent. And that's so not how it actually works. I've had a few nibbles, but I've had no definite takers yet. But I'm okay with that. You know, I'm kind of six months into looking seriously and something's going to come along. But... You know, everyone says that going through the process really involves learning how to deal with rejection. That's been a bit of a learning curve for me, but so far, like knock on wood, the rejections have all been like surprisingly kind. So I think I just have to you have to develop a thick skin, and you have to realize that there is actually a person at the other end. And their rejection of the manuscript isn't necessarily because they don't like it. Like there are always a thousand different factors that you have to consider from their perspective too. You know, they may have too many writers already. You know, it might just be they don't have, you know, they're not interested in the kind of work that you're doing. And it's not, it's not any comment on you as a writer.
0: And it's so subjective. Writing is the most subjective art or craft there is out there. It's not like a math problem. There's a right or wrong answer. Somebody could just be having an off day and read it and, oh, I've already written, I've already published a book in that vein or in that genre, and then reject it based purely on that quick glance.
1: Again, it's like online dating.
0: Exactly, and I always think too. The people, you're, these literary agents, they love books just as much as we do, and they've probably written their own books. So I, whenever I send out queries, I always think this is a human, like you said, but they're also a writer, and they appreciate the time and effort that's gone into it. So usually, the rejections are very kind. Exactly. That's kind of the traditional publishing process. But what are your thoughts, if any, on self-publishing? I mean, Amazon is quickly taking over.
1: Like from my perspective, I like it is an incredibly valuable platform for a lot of writers. But for me, I'm just not a natural self-promoter. And you really kind of have to be one if you want to capitalize on the advantages of a self-publishing platform. So that's, that's really kind of why I personally am not going down that road yet. Mm-hmm. I mean, for people who know how to use it, it can be incredibly lucrative, it can be incredibly successful, and it's increasingly becoming like a very much accepted part of the publishing landscape. But I don't think I've got the confidence in being able to leverage it properly just for myself. I'd rather have the support network of a publishing house that knows how to market properly, that really knows how to publish the book in a way that's going to make it sell.
0: Absolutely, a full team behind it. From what I've read and what I've learned regardless of whether you self-publish or traditional publish, there's this new buzzword of building your author platform. You need it across both avenues because it's not enough anymore just to put it out there in the world. There's just, there's so many books, there's so much noise and people don't really have the attention spans anymore. So for everything that I keep hearing is you have to build this author platform on social media, even if you're not self-publishing. What do you think of like you said, that you don't really enjoy wearing that marketing hat. Does it scare you going into that?
1: Yeah. Yeah, it does a little bit. I mean, as I said, I'm not a natural self promoter for me. I would mm-hmm. be quite happy if technology had stopped at the typewriter. Like I think that, that would be fine for me, <laughs> but, but I mean, yep. if, if I want to be a writer, I can't ignore this absolutely massive platform and this massively, sorry, this massive opportunity that the author platform provides. So like right now, I'm starting to kind of map out my own promotion strategy. Uh, you know, I've built a website, I'm trying to figure out how I can use that for my book. And I'm trying to figure out a balance that will allow me to still focus on the writing, but create the platform mm-hmm. that will help me build the following that I need. I mean, I'm a bit of a Twitter lurker, just kind of going in, in that direction. And the one thing that does give me hope about social media is that people following writers seem to be a way kinder group than so many others out there?
0: Absolutely, yes.
1: I look at the people following J.K. Rowling, and they all seem so lovely.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. She does a great job on Twitter. It gives her that connection to the readers,
1: and the reader myself. I know that's something that I appreciate. These writers are giving them an insight into what they're thinking and what they're working on. So I definitely see the advantages, but I, I need to I need to figure out my little fledgling strategy
0: you kind of have to be the jack i guess or jill of all trades nowadays i'm with you i wish technology had stopped at (laughs) typewriters i'm not a big fan of cell phones i I think it's we're too connected people need a break from each other and then you can catch up when you see each other in person
1: your strategy of like you know going into your apartment shutting the door being like three days i'm not you know I'm not going out. I'm just going to work on my thing. I'm not going to call you. I need I need to do yep. that more because I, I always feel very beholden to responding.
0: Yeah. Well, we need. you need the out of office. Somebody needs to invent it on the cell <laughs> totally. phone too. It can just send off so you don't feel like you said beholden to responding yeah. on that. So I want to ask you, this to me is kind of a big question, but to every author or writer, success looks very different. I have one friend, so she just published her book and to her That she self published on Amazon. She said to her that was enough. She didn't care how many it sold. She didn't even track the copies, really. She didn't care how much it made. And she didn't care if she was on a bestseller list. It was just enough to put it out. But then for others, it's the number of copies, it's being on that New York Times or Wall Street Journal bestseller list. And for others, it's the financial gain. So for you as a writer and author, what does success look like? Success for me
1: means that I can make a living from writing. You know, I, I mentioned at the moment I'm working a full-time job and I'm writing on the side and it feels a little bit like I'm, you know, chucking my baby into a corner without a nanny from nine to five. You know, it can be really <laughs> difficult splitting yourself between what you're supposed to do and what you want to do. So for me, the ideal future is combining mm-hmm. those uh, those two things. Yeah, I mean, I want to be able to write full-time and I want to be able to support that. Like, um, because I write history, a big part of what I do is research and a big part of that is You know, site visits and things. So, I want to be able to support myself to the point where I can conduct the research I need to do. I can do the writing that I need to do without worrying about where my next meal is coming from. So, like, basically, if I can afford to write without having to survive on cat food,
0: I'll be happy. Well, I have no doubt that that is in your future. (laughs) Honestly, believe that. Kind of that being said, what does the next year to five years to 10 years look like for you in your ideal scenario? How how do you foresee that working out with your book and everything?
1: Well, I mean, obviously getting the book published is priority number one. I'd like to get the book published and I'd like to start on the second one. So the book I wrote, it took about four years all in all, two years research and two years writing. Mm -hmm. I would hope that Mm -hmm. in five years, I'm well on my way to writing the next one. Like that book's going to take place in Germany. So I hope that You know, I'll have been able to spend some time there researching. And then 10 years from now, I hope that I've established myself properly as a writer. I'd also love to think that by that point, I'll be able to float my first book around for film options because I'd love to learn more about that side of the business. I don't know anything about it.
0: It's huge. All of the best new blockbusters are from books.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's just it's such a cool way to adapt one medium to another and, you know, bring your story to a whole new audience.
0: Yeah, it is. I find it fascinating as well. Well, do you think you'll see yourself in Toronto still or you're open to, like you said, Germany?
1: Um, I think my home base will always be Toronto. Like you, I'm a cottage girl. And for me, that's where my heart is. As long as I'm there for the summer months, that'll make me happy. I'd love to be able to travel quite a bit, but stick around, stick around the city.
0: <laughs> well, with the sale of your books and your the movie options, you'll definitely be able to travel a lot. You and I both are very similar in that we're... We like the city, but we kind of need our time in the country or cottage life to recharge our batteries. Totally, Kind of going back to maybe it's your days at St. Andrews or just something you've picked up from a book or learned along the way. But what's if there is one piece of writing advice that you've received that was just it for you? So when I first started writing People
1: Like Us, it was a very linear book. Like It started when Thelma was 16 years old and it followed her through her life. And I remember going into a meeting with John Burnside, the writer that I referenced earlier, and I was telling him about how my book was going to unfold. I'm talking about it and he kind of holds up a hand to stop me. And the thing that you need to know about John is that talking to him is a little bit like herding cats. Like he's absolutely (laughs) brilliant, but he's always skittering off in different directions when you're trying to get a straight answer out of him. So it can be difficult to slow him down long enough to make sense of what he's trying to tell you. But when he's quiet, you know that like he's got something important to say. And so he stops me and he says, well, I mean, that's all fine and good, but I don't see why you're not just writing a biography of her. And it kind of stopped me in my tracks. Like by this point, I'd written 180 pages of the manuscript and I figured that I was like well on my way. I realized that the story actually had to start 10 years later than I'd originally planned and follow an entirely different structure. So like I actually had to pitch the 180 pages and start from scratch. So that seemed like a really daunting thing. But the more I thought about it, the more I realized he was right. You know, he was getting at the fact that a good story is about more than the plot. It's about the composition and the structure and the artistry and about how it all fits together. Mm -hmm. The best piece of writing advice that I've ever gotten was from him. And he told me that anybody can tell a story, but a writer builds a story.
0: Oh, that's so amazing. And I, I picture him. I've never seen him, but just the way you describe him, like he's this Dumbledore wise figure. Oh, yeah. So before you go, can you let us know where we can follow and find you online? So. Everyone can go buy People Like Us when it comes out. Yeah,
1: absolutely. So I've got a website. It's BrynTurnbull.com, all one word. And I'm on Instagram at BrynTurnbull. Again, just one word.
0: Perfect. And I'll put that all in the show notes so everybody knows how to spell it. Perfect. <laughs> okay, well, thank you, Bryn. Have a great rest of your evening. Thanks. You too. It was a pleasure. That's it for today's chapter of the Word Weaver podcast. All of the show notes for today's episode will be at louiseclairejohnson.com podcast. Make sure to follow us on Instagram at wordweaverpodcast. And if you like what you heard today, feel free to leave a review in iTunes or the Stitcher podcast app as it helps more people find out about the Word Weaver podcast. Until next time.
1: I can't with words for a while.